Hey everybody, welcome to your weekly word from Brad Tuttle Ministries. I hope you've had a good week this week, even with all the craziness going on. Um, I'm excited about uh, the sermon or the message that I'm going to share with you today. I was dealing with some uh, different issues and going through the Word of God and contemplating things, and this topic uh, came to my mind. And I think, you know, the more I, I see where the world is, the more I um, recognize the return of Christ, uh, I am prompted to really try to drive into people's hearts and minds uh, a lifestyle that is pleasing to God. If they're not saved, I want to deliver the gospel to them so they can come to know Christ through faith. But and be forgiven and be on their way to heaven. But for those who are living as believers, or let's say church people, that I can do my part to maybe motivate someone, challenge someone, instigate someone to a life with God and that is a more holy life, that is a more righteous life, that's a life that's more pleasing to him. And this topic came to me, and it's a powerful topic, and it's a powerful example um, of what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to be in 1 Samuel 15, 10 through 28 is what we're going to start off reading, and then I'm going to be interjecting other scripture verses throughout this, but our context will be in 1 Samuel 15, verses 10 through 28, and if you don't know this by now, this is about King Saul. This is a little bit about his life, this tragic life that he lived through tragic decisions that he made, through immense disobedience that he walked in, uh, how his life just literally fell apart. And so don't look at the fact of disobedience as being some, you think it's some much bigger thing, but disobedience itself, as we'll find out in the sermon, is being disobedient to God's word and uh, rejecting God's word. God tells you to do something, or the Bible says to live a certain way or do a certain thing, and we reject that. Um, we are being disobedient to God, and there's ramifications, there's consequences for that. And we see that much greatly in the life of Saul. So let's read this today, 1 Samuel 15, verses 10 through 28. It says, The word of the Lord came to Samuel. Samuel was a prophet. Quote, this is God speaking. I deeply regret that I have made Saul king. For he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And Samuel was angry and cried to the Lord all night. Let me read that again. The word of the Lord came to Samuel. Samuel, I deeply regret. Doesn't, this regret doesn't mean that God was surprised by what he did. Um, and therefore that he was sorry for, for having permitted Saul to be king, but it refers to his, the real deep emotions and concern for both Saul and for Israel. I deeply regret, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And Samuel was angry and cried to the Lord all night, and Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning. And it was told Samuel, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set up a monument, monument for himself and turned and passed on and went down to Gilgal. Verse 13, And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed be you to the Lord. 
I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Verse 14, And Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen that I hear? He was hearing animals. In verse 15, Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God, and the rest we devoted to destruction. Verse 16, Then Samuel said to Saul, Stop! I will tell you what the Lord said to me this night. And he said to him, Saul said to him, speak. And Samuel said, though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel and the Lord sent you on a mission and said, go devote to destruction the sinners, the Amalekites and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, I've obeyed the voice of the Lord. I've gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me. I brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and I had devoted the Amalekites to destruction. Verse 21, but the people took the spoil. But the people took the spoil, sheep and oxen, the best of the things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. Don't even call him his God anymore, I think, because he realizes I messed up here. Verse 22, and Samuel said, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifice as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, it is better to obey, better, it is, behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than fat of rams. Verse 23, for rebellion is as the sin of divination and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry because you have rejected the word of the Lord. He has also rejected you from being king. Some of the saddest words in the word of God to me. Verse 24, Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord in your words because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Man, there's so much in that. Verse 25, now, therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may bow before the Lord. And Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you for you have rejected the word of the Lord and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. Verse 27, as Samuel turned to go away, Saul seized the skirt of his robe and it tore. In verse 28, and Samuel said to him, the Lord has torn your king torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. And we know that as we read on, it's going to be David. So Saul started out uh, very well, only to see his subsequent disobedient actions derail what literally would have been a stellar God-honoring rule over the nation of Israel. How could someone so close to God at the start spiral out of control and out of favor with God? That's our question today. But to understand this, we have to look at Saul's life This is how, and, and how his life got so mixed up. We need to know something about Saul, about the man himself. So we're going to give you a quick discussion on that. Saul was the son of Kish. He was from the tribe of Benjamin. Saul came from a wealthy family. We see that in 1 Samuel 9.1. And it says he was tall, dark, and handsome, basically in appearance. Scripture states in Samuel, 1 Samuel 9.2. Scripture states in 1 Samuel 
that there was not a man among the sons of Israel more handsome than he, being taller than any of the people from his shoulder and upward. Samuel the prophet at the time was Israel's religious leader, but not a king, and he was not equipped at that time to rule in a time of war. And because of this constant threat of war and a desire to be like the surrounding nations, the people pressed Samuel to appoint a king to rule over them. See that in 1 Samuel 8.5. I'm giving you scripture references because I want you to know that it's there in the word of God. So though the people's request for a king was displeasing to Samuel, God allowed it. Anyway, you see, this is what's so sad about this. The people had rejected God as king. They had forsaken him and served other gods. It's in 1 Samuel 8, 6 through 8. Think about that. They had seen God do miracle after miracle after miracle and sustaining them and escaping them um, and giving the, you know, just so many things that God had done for them. But they rejected him as king. They forsake him. They forsook him and they served other gods. Is that amazing? So God told Samuel to anoint a king as the people had asked, but also to warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. Thus it became Samuel's task to anoint a king from among the people. So Saul was secretly anointed the first king of the tribes of Israel before he was publicly selected. And you see that in 1 Samuel 10, 17 through 24. So Saul's reign over over Israel, it started out peacefully around 1050 BC, but the peace did not last. One of the most famous events in Saul's life was the standoff with the Philistines in the Valley of Elah. And you all know that story. This is where Goliath uh, taunted the Israelites for 40 days until a shepherd boy named David slew him. And aside from that incident of fear and uncertainty, Saul was a competent military leader. He was good enough that his rule was solidified by his victory at Jabesh Gilead. And as a part of his triumph, he was proclaimed king again at Gilgal. This is found in 1 Samuel 11, 1 through 15. He went on to lead the nation through a lot of other military victories as his popularity reached its highest point. However, some may say however, However, a serious, a, 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 a series of very serious blunders, beginning with an unauthorized offering in 1 Samuel 13, this started Saul's downfall from kingship. Saul's downward spiral continued as he failed to eliminate all of the Amalekites and their livestock as commanded by God. 1 Samuel 15, 3, he did not do what God did, told him to do completely. He was only partially obedient. So disregarding a direct order from God, he, did decide, he decided to spare the life of King Agag along with some of the choice livestock. He tried to cover up this transgression by then lying to Samuel, and in essence, he was lying to God. 1 Samuel 15, 15 says this, Saul said, they have brought them, they, notice what he's, what he's doing here, shift blaming, they have brought them from the Amalekites for the people, shift blaming, for the people spared the best of, he was in charge, for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen 
to sacrifice to the Lord your God, and the rest we have devoted to destruction. So again, Saul here starts to put the blame on other people, making room for his own excuses, just like he had done earlier. Then he tried to justify his sin by saying that the animals would be used to sacrifice to the God of Samuel. Unbelievable. The dis this disobedience was the last straw, as God would then withdraw his spirit from Saul. 1 Samuel 16, 14. This break between God and, Sam and Saul is arguably one of the saddest occurrences in Scripture. It is one of the saddest occurrences in Scripture. So then God withdrawing his spirit from Saul. Saul now, though, would be allowed to serve out the rest of his life as king, but he was plagued by an evil spirit that tormented him and brought about waves of madness. 1 Samuel 16, 14 through 23. Read that there. So his final years were profoundly tragic as he endured periods of deep manic depression. Wow. The cost of disobedience. The final years of King Saul's life brought a general decline in his service to the nation and in his personal fortunes. He spent a lot of time, so much time and energy and expense trying to kill David rather than consolidating the gains of his earlier victories. And because of all that, the Philistines now saw an opening for a major victory over Israel. And then after Samuel's death, the Philistine army gathered against Israel. And when it happened, Saul was now terrified and he tried to inquire of the Lord, but no answer came to him through the Urim or of the prophets. In Urim, were, they were gemstones that they were, were carried by the high priest of Israel on their ephod, their priestly garments, and they were used by the high priest to determine God's will in some situations. So he went to inquire. God would not answer him, so he went other places to find an answer, and he received no answer. Um, there was a time where Baal, Saul had actually banished mediums and spiritists from the land, but this is terrible. Saul disguised himself and inquired of a medium in Endor. That was not good. So the Philistines ended up routing Israel, killed Saul's son, Jonathan. Saul was critically wounded, asked his armor bearer to kill him so the Philistines wouldn't torture him. In fear that Saul's armor bearer refused, so Saul fell on his own sword, followed by his armor bearer, who did the same. And I say again, wow, the cost of disobedience. All of that because he did not carry out God's commands. And literally, li listen, someone says, well, we're living in the New Testament now. But here's the thing. There's still a consequence for disobedience. There's still a consequence for going contrary to what the word of God says and how we're supposed to live our life. There's consequences to disobedience. And this whole sad transaction and all the terrible consequences that came along with it, they are summed up in one statement, disobedience to God's command. It is complete and fully manifested in a single transaction, but definite steps led up to it. It can be accounted for. It should have been avoided. It should have been avoided. I said it should have been avoided. This disobedience was complete and inexcusable, so the punishment was prompt, definite, and final. 
God hath rejected thee from being king over Israel. Again, successive steps led to this point. Successive steps led, successive steps of disobedience led to this point. So God took his good spirit away and allowed an evil spirit to come upon him. He was left to his own rash, self-willed, and self-pleasing nature. He was allowed to work out his own destruction and the ruin of his dynasty while God quietly prepared a better man to take his place on the throne of Israel. One commentator said this, The whole question needs to be restated with firmness. The sentimentality of a spurious faith which claims heaven and yet the right to please self is a travesty upon the word of God and upon every serious utterance of human consciousness. And I repeat these words to you again. For you have rejected the word of, of the Lord and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. And Samuel turned to go away. Saul seized the skirt of his robe and it tore and Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. Listen, disobedience or rebellion against God is a sinful act that the Bible has a whole lot to say about. In fact, we're in the huge mess that we find ourselves in today because of Adam and Eve's disobedience. Whew, think about that. We're in the mess we're in now because Adam and Eve disobeyed God's word. If that makes it more realistic to you, rather than saying they disobeyed God's command, they disobeyed God's word. You have the word of God in front of you. If you're a believer, you have the word of God. If you're a churchgoer, you have the word of God in front of you all the time. Are you obeying all that you've been instructed to do or not do that's found in the word of God? The word of God defines sin as a transgression of the law of God, according to 1 John 3, 4, along with rebellion against God, according to Deuteronomy 9, 7, or Joshua 1, 18. Sin is based entirely on disobedience or rebellion. Man, disobedience is refusing to do what God has commanded or doing what God has forbidden. So with this in mind, Satan is the author of disobedience. So as we've been talking about this, these great acts of disobedience from Saul that led up to this one final outcome, what are the dangers then of disobedience? Disobedience is very consequential by nature. In many cases, it ends up costing people far more than they ever thought. The consequences of disobedience are plain throughout Scripture, from the book of Genesis to the book of Revelation. Even today, we are witnessing with our own eyes how people's lives are being destroyed through immorality, crimes, and other sinful activities, because that's all disobedience and rebellion. If you're, if you're, if you're, if you're still living in your sin without Christ, you're living a life of disobedience and rebellion. So, you know, we're seeing all this stuff playing out. Why is all these things happening around us? This, all this crazy stuff that's going on right now. That's sin. That's the sin of disobedience and rebellion against God. This nation's rebelling against God. The leaders of this nation are rebelling against God. And I will tell you now, there are consequences that they will pay. 
God has a reason, though, why he's allowed all these negative things to be recorded in his word because of sin. Why? Well, he wants us to be able to learn from these horrible mistakes that various people had made in the past by disobeying him so that we don't keep on repeating the same costly mistakes over and over again. God has a love for us, and uh, he wants to protect us from the ugly consequences of rebelling against him because to disobey is to willingly choose to walk in the will of Satan, thus walking out of God's protection. God in his love for us wants to protect us from the ugly consequences of rebelling against him because to disobey him is to willingly choose to walk in the will of Satan, thus walking out of God's protection. Sometimes we don't, people don't preach the um, depth and profoundness of sin anymore. They don't preach the profoundness of disobedience and rebellion. You're literally, when you're walking out of, when you're living your life in disobedience, you're willingly choosing to walk in the will of Satan. That's true. That's a fact. And we're, and we're going to be, you know, these things are all put down for us because we're going to be facing similar situations through um, through which we will be tempted to make the same mistakes uh, that disobedient or rebellious individuals had made before us. God's trying to help us by saying, look at what they did. Don't do it. But guess what? People still do it. So God's will for us is to remain obedient to him by keeping his word so that we can live a peaceful and joyful life and enjoy all the many blessings he has for us through Christ. Amen? Disobedience walks hand in hand with consequences. We've talked about that. There will come consequences. There came great consequences to Saul's disobedience. Disobedience brings a wide variety of horrible consequences, such as spiritual, physical, emotional, and mental consequences. And we'll talk about all those in a minute. Spiritual consequence relates to separation from God and union with Satan. <laughs> Disobedience walks hand in hand with consequences. It brings a wide variety of consequences, and one of those is spiritual. And spiritual consequence relates to separation from God and union with Satan. It's the worst form of consequence that can ever fall upon people since it determines where they will spend eternity. People will fight tooth and nail to disobey God. They will reject the word of God. They will reject the gospel, which is the word of God. They will reject God's word and they will find themselves in hell. They will spend their eternity there because that's the consequence of their sin and their rebellion directly against God. Physical consequences relate to bad things that can happen to us physically or our lives that can end, that can be literally ended so tragically. Emotional consequences relate to the sadness and hurts that disobedience can bring into our lives. It, and it can, man, I'm telling you. Disobedience. What about the husband that steps out on his wife, disobedient toward the word of God? Man, that brings hurt. That brings sadness. Disobedience can ruin the very person that God wants you to be. Um, moreover, disobedience can inflict so much emotional pains on us 
to the extent that we become a slave to bitterness, to anger, to unforgiveness, and on and on. And then mental consequences from being disobedient have to do with the fact that sin burdens the conscience of man. It corrupts and cripples people's judgment. It has a stronghold on the memory. Consequently, there is no genuine peace for those who are living in sin, no matter what they may say. There is no genuine peace for those living in sin, no matter what they may be. Because that consequence of disobeying or rebelling against God brings a mental consequence um, that corrupts people's judgment and holds strongly into their memory. And despite everything that sin has to offer, Bible talks about this. The deceptive pleasures that we may experience are not worth the price that we have to pay eventually. Whew, man. Think of all the things that people do, even those who go to church. Remember, I'm not just always preaching to the unsaved. These sermons go out to the church. Listen, there's the visible church, which is all the people that gather on churches in churches on Sunday mornings. There's the invisible church, which are truly the, the elect of God, those who have truly been born again. Not everybody in the visible church is of the invisible church. It's a lot of people sitting in churches every Sunday morning are not saved. They may profess Christ, but they've never truly possessed Christ. There's never been a true belief in their heart, a repenting, a laying down of their sins, and trusting in Jesus as a Lord and the Savior of their life. Um, these, these pleasures, so I'm not just preaching to, again, unsaved people. I'm preaching to people who are sitting in church, who are in their lives, who are sitting in sin, who are enacted in sin right now, hiding it from the pastor, hiding it from their wives, or hiding it from their husbands, or hiding it from everybody else, but they're not hiding it from God. And this sin is very controlling, it's very powerful, and it's very deceptive by nature. It literally blinds men to such a degree that it causes them to lose all of their capabilities to think the right way about the consequences that come along with their sinful lifestyles. And not to beat on this particular horse, but they say that um, when someone ends up in an adulterous situation, that it, did, it didn't just happen one moment. It is, a, it is a consequence of one decision, one wrong decision, another wrong decision, another wrong decision, another wrong decision. Now you're going to put yourself in a position where, where it can actually happen, and it happens, and they're blinded the whole way they're walking down this pathway that leads to destruction. They're walking down that pathway. They're deceived by what they're involved in, and they are—they don't have the capability to think about what the consequences can be from their actions. And many times, people finally get an idea of how terrible their lives have been when finding themselves in the midst of a disaster. That is the cost of disobedience. That is the cost of disobedience. Another thing about disobedience is that it has massive implications because oftentimes the person who breaks God's law is not the only one who ends up paying the price. Man, when people make disobedient decisions, they not only affect their lives, they affect the lives of their spouse, their children, um, every a lot of other people. When a preacher 
um, is led, uh, he, he allows himself to fall in the deception of, you know, grass is greener on the other side and he goes and commits some kind of immoral act. It affects everybody that followed that guy. It affects every person that followed that guy and it puts a stain on the cause of Christ. That's what disobedience does. And that's the cost of it. It costs not just you, but it costs everyone that you are involved with and many of those people that you love. Therefore, the choice that we make can affect people around us either directly or indirectly in a very big way. Our disobedience to God can significantly affect our ability as well to witness to other people's to other people about Christ, which is what we should be doing on a constant basis, telling other people about Jesus. Your disobedience and your rebellion will put you in a place where you don't even want to open up your mouth and share the gospel because there's a mental consequence going on in you. There is a spiritual consequence. There is a physical consequence going on in your life that is suppressing your ability to even do the things for God that you should be doing. Listen, God in all his holiness and righteousness, he hates disobedience. God hates disobedience. He hates sin. Disobedience is sin. He hates disobedience. In fact, we will never be able to fully comprehend to which extent that God hates disobedience. But think about this. If a sinner can be sent to hell for eternity, this clearly demonstrates God's full hatred towards disobedience. Remember, they lived their life disobedient towards God, never trusting in Christ. And listen, those people will go to hell. And if God allows that, that shows us how deeply he hates the sin of disobedience or sin in general. And most importantly, God never takes people's rebellion against him lightly. He never takes that rebellion against him lightly. And I'm telling you, you know, that's the whole thing about our nation too. The nation is rebelling. The leadership of the nation has rebelled against God. The nation of our leadership, those in the highest offices, have, have removed God from our nation. There are coming consequences. There's coming consequences to them individually, and there's a consequence coming to our nation unless or until our nation turns itself around. Listen, devil is fully aware of God's hatred toward disobedience since he's been with God. Remember, he was in heaven with God. He's always trying to influence our behavior in a wide variety of ways. So the choices that we make determine who gets to control our life. Who do you want to control your life, God or the devil? You're choosing. Each person makes the choice. So even as a believer, yeah, we're saved, but we still fall into times of disobedience and rebellion against God's word. Although we're saved, yes, God will forgive us, but there's still consequences that will come from that is it willing to are you willing to pay the price there's a cost to disobedience disobedience is disrespectful to god um, when we disobey god the message we convey hear this is that his word is not important to us so we'll simply do what we want to do regardless of what his word says concerning our choices. I'll read it again. When we disobey God, the message we convey is that his word is not important to us. So we'll simply do what we want to do, regardless of what his word says concerning our choices. It's amazing how, decept how deceived we can be by the enemy as we, as we live our lives out each day. 
These kinds of evil tendencies, they create this environment where God can no longer operate in your life. Is it really worth it to live a life of disobedience to the word of God? That God comes to a place where he can no longer operate in your life? Man, do you want to be someone? Even you call yourself saved, you want to live a life in your in your relationship with God, you want to live a life of disobedience to him? Listen, the Bible clearly says someone who continually, who has a habitual lifestyle of disobedience is probably not saved in the first place. But even the born-again person can still mess up. They can still sin. They can still be disobedient. Do you want to take it to the place where God can no longer operate in your life? In this particular story, God removed his spirit from Saul. He removed his spirit from Saul. That's a consequence that Saul paid for his extreme disobedience. When we create this environment where God can no longer operate in our lives, we literally kick him out of our lives so that we can get our own way. We kick him out so we can get our own way. Why do you think people don't want to hear sermons like this? Because they want to do their own thing. That's why they run to churches where the guy's going to give them these soft sell sermonettes all about how blessed you can be and all about, you know, little, never preaching on sin, never preaching on hell, never preaching on a holy, righteous God because they don't want to hear it because they want to do what they want to do. And that bothers them. That actually makes them mad. They don't want any part of that. Listen, when we're tempted, we are well aware that what we're planning on doing is not going to please God, but we do it anyway. We know once we're tempted and we're going to act on this temptation, we know what we're going about to do is not going to please God, but we do it anyway. Sin hardens our heart and makes us very selfish because it's all about what we want. It's all about what we want. Furthermore, it's about engaging in sinful activities in order to please ourselves instead of pleasing God. It's selfish. It's all about what we want. So we make these decisions to be disobedient and rebellious because that's what we want. And I said this earlier, although sin can bring some temporary pleasure, however, the price to pay is catastrophic. Is it worth a few moments of what you call pleasure to have your life end in catastrophe? The only life that you have to live when we're living in sin, our spiritual appetites, um, we lose our spiritual appetites when we live in sin and we become disengaged as well in all the things of God. I'll tell you right now, when you're living a life of dis disobedience and rebellion towards God, even as a believer, you will lose your spiritual appetite. You will not be a person of prayer. Um, you'll become disengaged in the things of God. That's when people start going, they start, stop coming to church. You know, they once were on fire, they're not on fire anymore because they, they're, you're, if you look at them, they're probably in some kind of a sinful lifestyle. Something in their life is disengaging them from the things of God. That way we can no longer serve God and we can no longer worship him then in the beauty of holiness because of our rebellion, our sin, our disobedience. That's the cost of disobedience. That's what it will cost you. That's what it will cost us. But God's love, praise God, God's love is infinitely greater than our disobedience and it, it's unmistakably clear that god hates sin however he he loves to save people you know um and because of our sinful disposition that we have within us 
which arouses us to continue to do the very things that God hates, but God is ready to forgive and to take that um, unsaved, rebellious, disobedient person and put the Holy Spirit in them that they will only come to the truth of where their life is and see themselves as a rebellious sinner and trust in Christ as the Lord and Savior of their life. And it goes along, even if you're a believer, God is faithful and just to forgive you of your sin, but you first have to recognize what you're doing and confess those sins before God. Listen, the good news is that God, I, I believe that, I'll, I'll say it this way, God admires when a sinner is honest with himself by, by, by being willing to acknowledge his sinfulness by confessing his sins to God. That's how you find Christ. That's how you go to heaven. That's how you get your life right. Amen. That's how you find peace with God. Nothing pleases and glorifies God more than when a sinner comes to him with a broken and contrite heart concerning his sinfulness. We're talking about a sinner there. And now let me flip it to the fact if you're in Christ, you're not a sinner. You're a saint now, but you can still mess up. Still, God loves it when you come to him and confess those sins. He's faithful and just to forgive them. But we've got to come to a place where we recognize what we're doing. We're recognized we're in, we're in disobedience and rebellion against God's word in our life. We're, we're living, um, we're transgressing the law of God. We're transgressing his word because we choose to be disobedient. We choose to be rebellious against God and against his word. This is no light thing. This is a heavy duty thing. This is a serious thing. And people don't look at it serious enough. They joke around with shows and movies and the way they talk and the things they do and the, go into bars, even as so-called Christians and churchgoers. They participate in the worldliness of the world and they wonder why. Listen, there will come a consequence to your disobedience and to your rebellion. And in many cases, we have this strong tendency to follow the deception that the enemy is throwing our way because he offers us what we want now, which appeals to what our sinful nature desires. So in conclusion, remember, nobody can ever please God while living in rebellion Nobody can ever please God while living in rebellion. You know, the Ro they're talking about the Roe v. Wade being overturned, possibly. Uh, I, on the, uh, this particular, I don't know, it's not been finalized, but, you know, uh, it's just funny to watch people's reaction to these things. And it puts me into the mindset of abortion. And people who are voting for pro-choice or voting for abortion, that is, that is literal rebellion and disobedience to the Word of God. It says that's a human life. You're killing a human life. There's a consequence. There's a consequence for those who make laws that give people the right and the ability to abort babies at whatever term they are. There's a consequence to that. Sir, ma'am, you will suffer that consequence. In leadership of this nation, you will suffer that consequence because of the decisions that you're making, your rebellion and your disobedience against God. Listen, sin would not be so attractive if the wages were paid immediately. And that's why people keep doing it, because they'll stay in their sin, they'll stay in their rebellion, they'll stay in their disobedience, because nothing happens now. But if it happened right now, it wouldn't be so attractive anymore. So I close you out with these scripture verses again. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. For rebellion is as the sin of divination, and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. 
Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Wow, what a consequence that came to this guy who started it out all right. What a consequence for his decision to be disobedient because he feared the people. He wanted to please the people. So he made decisions. It wasn't their fault they did what they did. It wasn't, it was, he was the leader of all that. And their actions were underneath his leadership. He was responsible for all that they did, tried to blame it on them. It was his fault. You can't shift blame. You did it. You made the decision. And there are consequences to pay. There is a cost to disobedience. And I'll tell you something, don't follow in Saul's footsteps. The cost of disobedience is too costly. You need to deal with your sin. You need to deal with your rebellion. You need to deal with your disobedience to the word of God in whatever area of your life you're being disobedient in. And you know what the word of God says because even your spirit within you will will uh, witness to you that this is what you're doing ain't right. You need to get it right. Deal with your sin, deal with your rebellion, deal with your disobedience, and deal with it right now. Don't leave this message and wait five minutes, five days, or five weeks before you deal with it right now. Get it together. Get it right before God and let God operate in your life to the fullest like he desires to operate in your life. Amen. Is it worth the cost? Is it worth the cost of having God not being able to fully operate in your life? It, as a man or woman of God, get your life together. Get rid of it. Confess it in Jesus' name. If you're out there and you're not saved, then you're living in rebellion. You're living in disobedience. You need Christ. You're a sinner and you're separated from God by your sin. You literally, if you died in that sin, you would go to hell and be separated from God forever. But God has given you a way to make it right. He sent his son to come and die on a cross for you. You can then come and get to God the Father by going through Jesus Christ. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And no one gets to the Father but through him. You come, you repent of your sins, you believe in your heart who Christ is and what Christ did. You confess with your mouth that he's now the Lord and Savior of your life and your life can be changed at that moment. If it's truly a true heart decision, your life can be changed. You can be forgiven of that rebellion, forgiven of that disobedience and God can make you right if you deal with it right now. Don't wait, do it right now because you never, especially in the world we live in now, you never know what tomorrow holds for you. Amen. Don't waste the time. Get it right with God and do and accomplish as much as you possibly can from this point on for the kingdom of God. Amen. Let me pray with you. Father, I just come before you right now in Jesus' name. I thank you for this very straightforward sermon. I pray that people will listen. I pray that they will grab a hold of this. I pray they will let this settle into their hearts. Father God, I pray that people would be repenting right now. They would be confessing sins of disobedience and rebellion right now. The unsaved would be repenting of their sins, trusting you as Lord and Savior of their life. The lives would be turned around now and completely changed. Uh, we pray for this nation, God, that this nation will repent. We get leadership, people in leadership positions who will uh, repent for the sins of this nation. Um, people are praying. They're humbling themselves and praying for the nation that it might be turned around. Father God, we pray for that to happen in Jesus' name. But I thank you today for what this message is going to bring in the lives of many people. It's going to change them. It's going to open their eyes to the truth. 
of where their life is and how badly they need to get their life right with you. We thank you for all these things. We praise you for who you are. You're an awesome God. We will be obedient to your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said together, amen and amen. Well, God bless you. Thank you for joining me today. I hope this has been a blessing to you. Listen to it again and again. Give it to somebody else. If you like these videos, please like and subscribe on my YouTube channel. I love to get out there to more people. But either way, listen to the sermon and follow what it says. Amen. From this point on, live all out for God. Amen. God bless you.